Hello everyone and welcome to the first episode of What's the Story Old Glory, a podcast taking you on the roller coaster journey from now until the 2024 US presidential election from a uniquely New Zealand perspective. We'll be introducing you to all the people, the processes and the pandemonium involved with this spectacular display of democracy. I'm your host, Elizabeth Soul, and with me is my co-host, Todd Muller. Well, thanks, Elizabeth. And it's uh, isn't exciting to finally get to uh, uh, episode one. And uh, I think roller coaster is the word, isn't it? I mean, uh, I've had a lot of people already just in the last uh, uh, few uh, days, really, after we put our little teaser trailer out there, uh, wondering what this was all going to be about. And Gosh, the US uh, political system does capture the New Zealand imagination, doesn't it? I mean, most people, I think, look over there and just shake their head and go, what on earth? So hopefully, hopefully we'll be able to shed a bit of uh, uh, Kiwi light on it so we can all be a little bit more aware of the craziness of uh, what that country's going through at the moment. Absolutely. There's the, the, just the, the candidates involved are one um, area of amazement for us as a country let alone all the systems that are in place that just turn it into what can be a completely baffling um, process for people looking at it from the outside, but that uh, for the people involved in it, it becomes an all-consuming uh, passion and uh, process that dominates their, their time for, for two years yeah, in the lead up to, to, to election day. Yeah, at least I can remember after the last election, they were already talking about, uh, you know, the plans for four years out. It just seems a never ending political, uh, uh, never ending political battle. But uh, um, looking forward to uh, chatting with the people that we're going to have on the show about uh, the American perspective. I know we plan to have a few Kiwis as well, but I think won't it be interesting to just get Americans uh, be able to share with us, you know, why their system is so crazy and uh, uh, why they seem to be rushing headlong into voting an octogenarian back into the White House. Or a septuagenarian. Or Both a, are quite extraordinary. Or, that's, yeah, that's if he's allowed out of jail. Yeah, that's, yeah. It's, going quite, it's going to be quite some ride. So very much looking forward to it. So how did, it is. How did, how did you get so interested in American politics. Did you write a book about it when you were 10, like me? Uh, no, I didn't. Um, I have been interested in politics globally since I was young. Um, politics was always a big um, discussion point in my family growing up. Uh, my parents watched all the um, election debates and everything in New Zealand and were very actively involved in, in participating in politics, not, not through party politics, but in terms of participating in the democratic process. Um, and then uh, I think when I was a teenager is when I started to pay attention more closely to US politics. And then it really came home to me just how significant the US political system and the decision that their decisions that their leaders make affects the rest of the world. When I was at university and September 11th happened, um, it sort of put into sort of stark relief for me. Um, that what happens in America affects the world. And although that, that's always been true, I think that that's what really brought it home for me as a, an impressionable 20-year-old at the time. I was studying politics anyway, um, and then sort of shifted my focus into studying American um, history, uh, American politics, and also look, studying things like um, 
constitutional law because that's what really fascinated me is how how did America get to where it is now politically particularly in relation to its systems in terms of its historical roots so I've um, done a lot of reading on the founding fathers and and the thoughts and processes that they had in forming a new nation out of um, the Revolutionary War and um, that's what's sort of spurred my interest and then as an adult became more and more interested in it watching it from afar till Donald Trump did his um, famous entry into politics down his golden elevator um, escalator I should say and um, at that point I, I, I really started paying attention thinking what on earth is happening here is he really going to be president surely not um, and then, and then, it, and then it went on. And ever since then, I've um, just been obsessed, basically, and and still am. So, yeah. really thrilled to be part of this project, talking about American politics with a fellow enthusiast, um, <laughs> and hoping to, you know, inform some of our New Zealand um, compatriots as to as to what the heck is going on over there. Yeah, look, it's similar. You know, for me, it, America's just always loomed. Uh, large. I've always been so fascinated by it. Um, and when I was about 11, I think it was, my parents had a knock on the door from a guy who was selling a world book encyclopedia. Uh, <laughs> now, I'm a little bit older than you. I, you know, I can't claim to be um, a young 20-something at university in 2011. Um, you know, almost a generation older. So this would have been the late 70s. You're not a boomer, though. Oh, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. Oh dear. I was so offended when Chloe said I was a boomer. Not really. But um, you know, our, our international audience won't understand what we're talking about. So no, we may have to no, circle that, back to this in another in another episode. Oh yes, our huge international audience won't know what we're talking about. But um yeah, so thankfully I'm not a boomer. But I was um this is late seventies, knock on the door, World Book Encyclopedia. But and and I know this sounds crazy for, you know the modern world, but that was really how you got your information right. You know, it, um, I was 11 years old. Suddenly we had these world book encyclopedias. I can look at them now, actually. Mum gave them to me uh, uh, a few months ago. So they're still in tremendous order from 1979. And of course, because they were American, they had these incredible uh, sections on the United States presidents. Uh, and I just became absolutely obsessed. Uh, I drew pictures of them all uh i copied their signatures uh and <laughs> even i know i'm an ex-politician so i can say that now it's, i'm laughing I, with I forged, you. forged u.s president signatures uh and um then decided at the age of 12 that i was going to write a book about how my future life was going to unfold uh and um you'd be delighted to know i imagined myself as a u.s president uh quite a successful one I get elected uh, or become president, elected vice president when I'm 28. Uh, within six months, a tragedy befalls the president uh, and I become president. And then I serve for 13 consecutive terms, which is quite So you something. hadn't read the constitution? No, <laughs> no, not at all. That was, that was just a mere sort of uh, a slight hiccup in, a mere hiccup really in my uh, uh, plans of, of being a president. Far too young, far too not American, but that didn't stop me. And uh, 13 terms later. So yes, I've always loved it. It's just, uh, it's, I think you touched on it when you said, you know, you realized how important um, the office of the presidency is, 
that the mm. you know when you are the leader of the free world um what you do matters what you say matters uh sets the cue of behavior uh across other countries both uh, friends and foes and you know it's important that we sort of understand you know how how these people get elected and particularly when you look forward the next 15 months you know what is america going to serve up as the next leader of uh, its country and i think a lot of new zealanders are going to be quite fascinated around how that process goes have you ever been in the oval office i haven't i've been on capitol hill washington dc capitol hill is the is the large building where the um, house of representatives sits and it's about five kilometers away from the white house um, I've been outside the White House, um, but yeah, I've been in Capitol Hill, I've been in Senate offices, but but I haven't been in the White House itself. Have you? I've been in the White House, yes, but I didn't get to the Oval Office. I went on a very special tour uh, that the US government uh, that I was on back in 1996, and they showed us through the White House, uh, but um, like elements of it, but clearly not the private quarters and not the Oval Office. Um, that was that was out of bounds but uh uh the thing that struck me was the, you have the great sense of history when you're walking through it but how small it is that was the other i had i had the expectation of a very grand large uh building internally but there was a lot of activity packed into pretty small spaces was my recollection do you have a favorite president favorite president Probably George Washington, which is a bit of a cop out, I know, but um, I have I have his bust on my mantelpiece. <laughs> oh, that's a, well, that you certainly beat the only uh, presidential uh, dolls we have here is one of Trump, which probably means <laughs> that we've lost our audience. But uh, <clears throat> when I was over there in two thousand and sixteen, um, the Trump memorabilia was just more available. <laughs> and more discounted than the Clint, Clinton memorabilia. So I bought a doll back with a wobbly head uh, for my daughter. Oh, I've got one of those yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah, so she just loves that. Um, but um, yeah, I think... I also have a... I, I'll, I'll redeem some of our listeners that, that we may have lost if they think that we're Trump supporters. I also have a Trump toilet brush. <laughs> and I also have a, I also have a solar, um, solar bobble head on my office of Trump and Kim Jong on kissing. <laughs> yeah, okay. Now that is that. That's all. You're going to have to put that. I think you need a picture of that somewhere in our. Uh, um, yeah, we can put that on that. social I think media. People need to see that to make to get a sense of the the, the kind of people we are. Um, and so, can you recall mm. your first election that you followed? I'm fascinated. Um, Which is the one that really captured your imagination the first time? Yeah. Well, I guess um, sort of. I I. I followed but it to a sort of less lesser degree than than in later years the um when george w bush got elected um because of all the controversy that happened in um florida yes. and the uh hanging chad uh and, and what that led to and so I, but like i say i was sort of just i i paid attention to that peripherally and then um I think the first one that I really paid a really close attention to was um, Obama. Um, he just struck me as many people in my generation, I think, as being such a, a, a change from anyone who had gone before him um, in terms of who he was, his background, 
who he represented, that sort of thing. Um, but then I didn't start taking days off work to watch election coverage um, until 2016. Oh, right. Oh, so you're really only um, new to this. <laughs> I am. I'm I only am. joking. But like I say, I've always been fascinated in the history. So I've always, uh, that was a sort of more where I put my focus is trying to understand, um, like reading the constitution and, and reading the federalist papers and that sort of thing. It's just, I just, I just find it fascinating. I've studied political science at university. I have a master's degree in it and I'm doing a PhD on um, democratic legitimacy, which I guess is yep. where I feel I bring something to the podcast, but you, you've lived politics inside out and been at the top. So tell us the, a bit about uh, yourself. Study was at university of Waikato and I did, I did one year of uh, management and just didn't like it. Got seized for economics and accounting and, even failed introduction to management, uh, which perhaps I shouldn't be saying out loud, bearing in mind the ro subsequent roles I had with Zespri and Fonterra. Uh, but um, they, so a friend of mine said, oh, you should go to this politics class. You've always loved politics. Uh, and they were doing politics, not in the theory of it, but in its application in US in frankly, global geopolitics over the last hundred years. And I absolutely loved it and did a master's in that with a supporting uh, one in uh, English. Uh, and whilst I was at university, I got heavily involved in the National Party, Young Nationals. And of course, because New Zealand's so small um, and our politics is so immediate uh, and there's an intimacy about it, that if you've got an interest in politics, you can turn up to a meeting and you can find yourself, as I did, three years later working for Jim Bolger in his in his office. I mean, Grant Robertson and Jacinda Ardern worked in uh, ministers' offices straight out of university. I knew Grant actually mm. at university back in the 1980s. Uh, so, um, yeah, politics has always, is, is always been there. And, of course, just absolute love uh, of US politics. So I thought I'd quickly go back to your comment around 2000 when you were at that, that was your first election, and you said hanging Chad. And so I thought I'd just <clears throat> remind New Zealanders who perhaps had forgotten that the US election of that year, or who went there at the time, of course, um, the US election was so close, it came down to the result of Florida and whichever way Florida went would elect the president and the the difference ended up being 537 votes that Bush got more than Gore, Al Gore, uh, who was the vice president at the time and that meant that he won the presidency and what was incredible is you would think oh well that's that was just they had to count the votes and Bush got 537 more. No, it wasn't like that. Lawyers for weeks poured over the voting papers to decide whether um, whether the indentation of the machine had sufficiently pushed out the uh, mark against a particular candidate uh, for it to count. And so if you can imagine using a punch, and if you don't quite push the punch through and it doesn't quite make the hole in the paper, well, there were lawyers arguing that unless that uh, hole was complete, you couldn't be sure it was going to be a vote. So that's where the hanging chad came from. Where mm, That's literally what a hanging chad is. 
a little bit of cardboard. A little bit of mm. cardboard that hadn't pushed through. And lawyers could argue that because it hadn't pushed through properly, the vote didn't count. So it's uh, that vote doesn't go to Al Gore. And so, you know, amazing that America got to the point where bits of cardboard were to decide who became president or not. Um, and, you know, as you can tell, my fascination from that point was... Uh, was exceptional and um but my first my first election i think from memory would have been uh 1980 following that just on tv and ted kennedy challenging jimmy carter uh, and of course mm -hmm. ronald reagan winning in a landslide mm. and it's really interesting uh, actually a lot of the republican candidates now are trying to sort of evoke the memory of of ronald reagan um he's seeing as perhaps with rose-tinted glasses, I'm not sure, is leading the US through a period of, um, you know, US supremacy globally, but also in terms of the um, reforms that he led um, across the country, particularly economically. Um, and they see him really as one of the shining examples of, of a Republican president. I think that's right. I think you'd argue they tend to say, look, the party is the party of Abraham Lincoln, which is technically yeah. true. Lincoln was the first president. Uh, and Ronald Reagan, you're right. And they, they Reagan is sort of the modern day saint, if you like, of the, of the Republican Party. I wonder what he would think of Donald Trump. Mm. <laughs> or any of the other candidates. Or any of the other. I mean, he just seems so fundamentally different in his outlook compared to theirs but uh... so talking of the candidates should we um go through the candidates for each party just quickly um yes talk, just go through the list uh, a little bit of a brief um bio of who they all are um we will in future episodes circle back and talk about them probably in more depth particularly as some inevitably drop out of the race and we'll also talk about um how they the processes by which will we will end up with a candidate for each party so although the current president is obviously a democrat there are still um and and the, and the democratic party have said that basically he, he is their candidate there are still candidates running against him who um want to have the democratic party nomination for the general election when it comes down to the two candidates facing off against each other. So the um, current president, Joe Biden, born in 1942 in Scranton, Pennsylvania. So when he took office um, in 2020, he was the 46th president of the United States. At 78, he was the oldest president at the time of inauguration. So in 2023, what's the maths? He will be, 2024, I should say, he will be well be 80, 82 which is extraordinary mm. he makes lots of jokes about his age um, which is interesting i guess he sort of has to um you know i find it you know i find myself actually struggling to connect with the substance of what he's trying to say because mm. of just the image of a guy who uh you know visually looks like he's really struggling you yeah, know, he, he looks you know, a lot older than when he took office, like more than three years ago. It looks like more than three years ago. He, um, but he polls extraordinarily well with young voters, with Generation Z, 
um, millennials, first time voters. Um, I don't know if it's because he as a person resonates with them um, or the fact that uh, the sorts of programs he's put in place around clean energy and that sort of thing is, is really speaks to them and what they care about um, as a voting mm. block. It's not just because he's a bit of a grandfather figure or anything. Well, possibly. <laughs> possibly. I, mean, it's, it's, I, I mean, I just couldn't think of anything worse. I mean, I mean, locally, we've got Winston. What's he? He's 77, I think, 78. Uh, yep. he's, a, he's sort of pushing Joe Biden's age three years ago. But, you know, there is a big leap between uh, being a politician in a New Zealand context and being the president of the United States with all that accountability and obligation uh, and demand, it's it just seems amazing that he would put himself forward again, knowing that he will be 86 if he lives to the end of his second term. This is yeah. assuming he wins. So who else is in the mix? Who else and are, they, and are they any good? Are they, any, are they likely to get any Current, support? So we've got two more candidates that have thrown their names in the ring. Um, firstly, I'll talk about Marianne Williamson. Now, she is um, 10 years younger than Joe Biden. <laughs> she was born in 1952. She's from Texas. Um, she was raised in a conservative Jewish family, but then became a cabaret singer in New York City um, and would later on find her spiritual awakening and become the head of um, a mega church in Warren, Michigan, and has written lots of books on spirituality and is Oprah Winfrey's spiritual advisor. Um, she, she does has, sound interesting. She I mean, does not sound in interesting. any way qualified to be the president, but she does sound interesting. That's right. So she, um, she ran in 2020, um, but pulled out um, before it re the race really even got underway in 2019. Um, and then she um, kicked off her 2024 campaign in March this year. She's already lost lots of key um, staff due to allegations of toxic bullying. Um, oh. Fun fact, in the first primary Democratic debate back in June 2019, when asked what her first act of... Um, taking the office would be as president, she said she would call Jacinda Ardern and say, girlfriend, you are so on. <laughs> well, that's enough to um, uh, discredit her, I think. I'm, I'm not allowed to say that anymore. No, you did tell me I have to be nonpartisan. So this is me on my journey to become nonpartisanship. I withdraw and apologize. But it's an interesting to say thing for an American president to say that's what to say uh, is their first act on taking office. The first act. I thought she would sort of bend a knee and have a prayer or something, which is what I suspect Mike Pence would do if he yes. was the uh, president. But we'll get to yes. him. Who else is in we'll the? To him. Uh, yeah, so she's not race. even polling at the moment. Not surprisingly, um, no. the, the the other person that's 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 thrown their head in the ring is um, probably getting a. He is polling. Some some polls have him up to twenty percent of um, support within the Democratic Party, um, but the average polls um, have him sitting at around ten percent versus Biden, who's at about sixty seventy percent support from within the Democratic Party. Is running on name recognition is Robert F Kennedy Jr. So the son of Robert F Kennedy, the nephew of JFK, arguably one of the most beloved presidents of the United States of the 20th century at any rate. 
So he, uh, this is his first foray into politics, surprisingly, given that he's a Kennedy. Um, he has made his made his career as a, an environmental lawyer. Um, had a lot has done a lot of significant work over the years protecting the environment fighting for underdog causes such as um, indigenous rights in america um, clean energy and as i say uh, fighting um, corporate level pollution so significant things however since that time he has veered off and the issues that he's now taking big stands on are largely to do with big pharma conspiracy theories, and um, anti-vax, if I can put it bluntly. He, um, back in 2005, he started writing about um, alleged conspiracies between the US government and the pharmaceutical industry to cover up links between vaccines and autism. And he's carried on that vein ever since, ramping up his um, conspiratorial beliefs, particularly during uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, he he had theories around vaccines that involved mega conspiracies between Anthony Fauci, who was the who was the US equivalent of um, Sir Ashley Bloomfield, uh, Bill Gates, 5G network rollouts, um, and even as recently as July this year, has claimed that COVID-19 was um, created and has been ethnically targeting people of different races. So he's just sure. an extraordinary well, character. Wow, that's quite a, um, that is, that's, thanks for stepping through the bio because, I mean, you know, I have a lot of time for Robert Kennedy, uh, his father. Uh, I feel that that was one of those great uh, tragedies of the US and potentially world uh, politics when uh, he was shot as he was starting An to get An opportunity lost. And a huge opportunity was, you know, it's a sliding door of history and it closed so tragically shut. And you think, well, I wonder what could have happened if it's, that had stayed yeah. open. RFK Jr. believes that his father's assassination, the CIA is implicated in it. And he doesn't believe that Sirhan Sirhan, who's been in prison forever, have, having committed the crime in front of many, many witnesses, um, RFK Jr. believes that there were two shooters and, and says similar things yeah. about his uncle's assassination in the Warren Commission that, that investigated it. It's just extraordinary. And he has been, um, you know, disavowed by many but, members of the Kennedy family because of his views. It's it's just extraordinary. Particularly the views of the last four or five years. So you wonder whether this is a yep. guy who, um, you know, after 30, 40 years of fighting against the big players, if you like, for the little guy, uh, just has just clearly just been completely subsumed by the, um, you know, the the, the conspiracy uh, elements that sometimes lurk behind the sort of um, big players. That somehow the reason they've got big is because they you know, there's some sort of behaviour that's going on the rest of us can't see. And I know that that has a lot of attraction in parts of America. But if you were going to ask me where uh, the sort of anti-vax theme or vein would be in American politics, I would have thought it was on the right. So it's interesting that he's a left-wing candidate uh, and he's very much trying to capture that uh, view. And it mustn't, and it's obviously not a zero view because you said he's sort of 15%, 20%. Correct. Um, it's, it's not a zero view. And, um, and you're also right when you say about it being... Um, 
a, a viewpoint or a um, position that's taken by many on, on the right, but it's this strange kind of coalition of anti-government sentiment. And I guess his um, he, he has said himself that his spiritual home is always in the Democratic Party, probably because of his family legacy and more than anything else, but that... Um, and so he's still aligned with the with the Democratic Party in that respect. But he and, and he says things like, I still respect Joe Biden. He's a family friend of mine, et cetera, et cetera. But he believes that the Democratic Party is now a party that is um, um, opposing democracy, is big into censorship, is um, trying to control the population. And he wants to wrestle the party back from what he sees as those malevolent forces within inside the party. Interestingly, I sat, I watched a um, a panel debate that involved him and some other speakers on censorship, and a lot of and it was on Rumble, and there were a lot of comments coming through in the comment section where people were saying, "I would absolutely vote for a Trump Kennedy ticket. That's my dream team." In words to that effect, and there were a oh, lot of people goodness. saying that. So that's the sort of coalition that we've got: this sort of anti-government, anti-power. Um, 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 stick it to the man kind of sentiment on both sides that are co yeah. coalescing around these issues. Almost stick it to the system uh, kind yeah. of. Uh, so is that it for the Democratic Challenges? That's it for the Democratic Challenges. We do have one independent who's registered. Let's just call him an independent, shall we? Um, Joe Exotic. Joe, oh, well. Joe Exotic. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe you <laughs> couldn't recall his name. Well, I, I couldn't recall the name of his party. The Libertarians? Libertarians. Uh, right. It might be the Libertarians. But anyway, he's in prison. Um, so yep. presumably if he got elected, he would also have to pardon himself. Yes. Well, that bridge may be one we are, are going to see crossed. Who knows? But um, yes. so let's go to the Republican side. Let's We've go got... to the Republicans. And I, we probably should can't we just... devote as much. Yes. I was going to say, should we just pick the like the, the biggish ones uh, as opposed to the whole field of what 20 something sure so um we've had the first republican debate and that was yeah. um a couple of weeks ago sponsored by fox news and only a certain number of um, candidates were able to make the cut to appear in that debate stage and they are the people that are getting the most publicity right now apart from donald trump who declined to take the stage with him because he's polling at 50 percent Republican support. So his argument is essentially, why would I need to? So I'll just name the, the small bit players and then we'll um, talk in a bit more detail about the, the people that actually are polling above 5%. Um, so we, we actually had one one um, candidate has already pulled out, Francis Suarez, who was the mayor of Miami. We also have Ryan Binkley, who didn't take the stage um, in Milwaukee and neither did William Hurd. Um, the other candidates maybe start with the least known, if if that's a thing. Um, Doug Burgum, he um, he was he didn't say much on the stage. He's the um, governor of North Dakota. Um, then we have Tim Scott, who sort of had been. I think he's been touted as having some real potential. Um, he was the first black Republican elected to any office in South Carolina since the 1800s. So he's got he's got some political fight in him, um, but he failed to launch really on that debate stage. Um, 
So he's probably going to drop out fairly soon unless he does something extraordinary in Iowa. Then we have Asa Hutchinson, um, who has been the governor of Arkansas, very ultra conservative, um, announced his candidacy back in um, April 2023. Um, and again, wasn't really much to speak of at, at the Republican debate a couple of weeks ago. So we're not going to get another governor of Arkansas becoming the president. We're pretty sure of that. <laughs> I mean, I mean, no, I see... and, and what a difference. What a difference between him yeah. and Bill yeah. Clinton. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I saw that debate. I was watching that debate. Uh, we should tell our listeners that we watched the debate together to get our sort of heads around these candidates. And uh, he is no, he's, he's no Bill Clinton. Uh, nice Absolutely enough guy, not. but he, no, no magic on the stage at all. So who else have we got? There's a lot of us. It's quite interesting. We don't see it so much in a New Zealand context. You know, the row of ten lecterns and everyone gets thirty seconds each. It's a, it's a bit of a circus, really. But it, uh, it is a bit who, of a circus. Who else was on the stage? Who, who else have we got? Sh who should we turn to next? Um, probably. Uh... I'm, I'm trying to <laughs> move from boring to exciting <laughs> in terms of what those candidates appeared to offer on the day. Oh, so, okay. Yes. And so now well, I'm like I agree with your assessment. Mm. Who, who's, who's next on the list? Well, I'm not quite sure. Let's turn to Chris Christie, shall we? So Chris Christie from uh, New Jersey. He was a US attorney um, appointed by George W. Bush um, and served seven years in... Um, in that office uh, until 2008. He has previously run for president, um, but pulled out uh, in, 2000, in the 2016 election. Um, he is no friend of Trump. So he is one of the few candidates who has denounced Trump's stand on the 2020 election result. Um, mm. Trump claiming that he won the election, and we'll get into that in a future episode, I'm sure. But but Chris Christie has said that um, uh, that uh, denounced Trump's claims of a stolen election, and has also blamed Trump for the January sixth riots and called for his impeachment. Um, interestingly, also probably a uh, cause of some tension between the two men is that in two thousand and five. Um, Chris Christie led the conviction of Charles Kushner for illegal campaign contributions, tax evasion and witness tampering. And Charles Kushner is the father of Trump's son-in-law, Jared, who was one of his senior advisors while Trump was in the White House. He's very much the anti-Trump candidate, isn't he? Like he, He's the most anti-Trump on that stage. Yeah, every chance he gets, he will hammer him. Uh, but uh, as we'll talk in future episodes, what's fascinating when you hear that happening is the boos and hisses and catcalls from the audience who don't like uh, anyone taking on, uh, you know, the assumed uh, leader of the Republican Party into uh, next year. And uh, and so I see we um, it's good that we have a woman, a woman only, but just the um, one. Just the one. I was really impressed with Nikki Haley. I thought uh, she was um, of that first debate. I thought she did. She was right up there. Mm. So Nikki Haley, 
Nikki Haley, people might recognize her because um, Donald Trump appointed her as the ambassador to the United Nations during his term. She she wasn't she didn't serve in that role for very long, um, but she was quite significant on the world stage while she was there. So mm. she is she is the only female candidate within the Republican um, Party. She is also of um, Indian. Her parents were Indian immigrants um, and she has an accounting background. Um, she has been on the boards of, of major companies such as Boeing um, and has been sort of iffy in her support of Trump. It seems to waver depending on who's asking the question and whether she thinks, I don't know, perhaps whether she thinks Trump's listening at the time as to whether she says she's going to support him or not. But I think what made her stand out on that um, stage at the debate was her um, foreign policy chops. So that was where she really took to some of her fellow candidates, particularly about positions around the Ukraine and China, um, mm. and, and demonstrated herself as um, having real um, nous when it comes to those issues. I was impressed. Tell me, uh, the guy I was the least impressed with is the one everyone's talking about, which is Vivek Ramaswamy. Um, Correct. Apparent, I thought every, you know, me watching the debate, I'm thinking, my goodness, this guy makes Trump look like a moderate. Um, so tell us about it. Tell us a bit about him. He's quite young, isn't so he? He's peers quite young. So he was he's younger than me. He was born in 1985. So he's still only in his 30s. So he just scrapes in actually as being eligible to run for office because there, as we talked about at the start, there are um, age restrictions in the um, Constitution. So you can't be too young to run for office. But you can be too young to run for office. But there's not an old age restriction, right? There is not, no. Right. So um, Vivek Ramaswamy went to Harvard um, and Yale Law School. He worked um, at an, as an investment partner at a hedge fund and then founded a biotech company. He's extraordinarily wealthy and extraordinarily successful. Um, he also co-founded um, an asset management company, um, which is unapologetically aimed at um, providing value to shareholders and steering corporations away from um, any kind of environmental, social or corporate governance responsibilities. So he's written books such as, and I think the, the titles of these books really tell you the base of the Republican Party voter that he is um, striving to appeal to. So his books are called Capitalist Punishment, and Woke Inc. Inside Corporate America's Social Justice Justice Scam and Nations of Victims, Identity Politics, The Death of Merit and The Path Back to Excellence. Also, the son of some immigrants considers himself to be the embodiment of the American dream. I saw, um, you know, when he was on the stage, um, he struck me as having a sort of a similar energy as Obama did um, when he first appeared on the Democratic side. Uh, and Chris Christie was pretty quick to to uh, smack him up accordingly, which I found uh, interesting. What did he say? He was, uh, sounded, sounded like, something... like Chat GPT. <laughs> which I thought was a, was a great line. I mean, uh, for those um, listeners who think, uh, like I do, that actually climate change is something that we need to grapple with quite strongly as a country and a world. One of his uh, philosophies that he would bring to the White House is this statement, 
human flourishing requires fossil fuels. So uh, I give you get get your sense there where he sits on the climate change uh, debate. Absolutely. On the stage, that there was a direct question from a young Republican who asked about the candidates' positions on climate change. Change most of them avoided the question. Uh, to his credit, he did he did answer the question yes. directly, but his response was that he believes climate change is a hoax. He's very he's got ten truths. So, like you say, one of them is about climate change. He also has very um, strong opinions on immigration. Although he's the child of immigrants, he believes that the U.S. Army should be deployed at the southern border. Um, but I've, I've, I found a really interesting fun fact about him, and perhaps this is where he gets some of his stage charisma from. When he was at Harvard, he um, had a liberal rapper alter ego called Davek, and he believes that Eminem's "Lose Yourself" should be compulsory listening for all children. That that is a surprise when you see him. It's quite a, I always find it really difficult when you listen to somebody who's got these very strident public views that sort of make me feel uncomfortable as a New Zealander listening, yet mm. then in other, other contexts, your fun facts, he's actually sounds quite normal. Yeah. Now, talking about someone who possibly um, can look normal but doesn't necessarily sound it once he gets going, Ron DeSantis. Ron Everyone DeSantis. thought he was going to, yeah, he was going to be the big challenger for Trump. Absolutely. So, so he was yeah. polling at like 20% earlier in the year. He was doing really well. Um, yeah. So Ron DeSantis, um, governor of Florida, um, really made for a name for himself in the COVID-19 pandemic because he was anti-lockdown um, and anti-vaccination, although whether he got himself vaccinated and his family is a different story. But essentially, he um, he kept Florida open for business. Um to, to the detriment to a, a significant proportion of his population that, that died as a result of the pandemic. But but he still plays on that um, to be one of his strengths. So he has put in place a lot of um, uh, laws in Florida which are sort of socially regressive in terms of what it means for um, immigration, what it means for transgender rights, um, access to voting. Um, uh, he has taken out of office some of the elected um, judicial figures in the state. And so he's just, um, he's, an, he's an interesting guy, but failure to launch, I think. Um, he spent a long time pre-campaigning before he actually decided he was announced that he was going to run for president. But since he announced that he was going to run, his campaign just seems to have sort of been imploding and people often talk about how he lacks charisma. Um, he was in Jacksonville, Florida just last week, which is his home area. Yeah. Um, and he was widely booed by, by the crowds there. So it's extraordinary. Goodness me. And they were, because he's attacking Trump, is that is that why the crowds are booing? Like they sort of cheered for him when he was governor? But Yeah, they're also... There's been another hurricane in Florida and there's concern that he should be focusing on his home state and leading that rather than um, spending his time um, on the campaign trail as well. Yeah, good. Um, and then the I've got, I've got a fun, president. Well, I've just got a fun fact about Ron DeSantis oh, yes. as well. This is Great, a good I love these fun facts. So he, he, he's a very good baseball player. Um, he pitched and played third base 
and helped his um, baseball team to the, to the Little League World Series in 1991. And it's an international World Series, not like the grown-up version when there's just one country involved. He struck out 11 batters and hit a home run in a game against Saudi Arabia, and his team finished sixth in the world. Well, that is impressive. That is. Uh, that is, And I do note your comment about it actually being a World Series as opposed yes. to... Uh, the adults when you win a World Series when it's only your country playing it. But anyway, that's that. He's obviously got a good arm arm on him. Yes, uh, and, we'll and people it's... talk about him having a an extraordinary intellect. So he was a a lawyer deployed to Guantanamo Bay and was a legal advisor to the Navy SEALs in Iraq. So he he is extraordinarily intelligent and extraordinarily good yes. at baseball, but um, seems to be lacking that X factor that it takes mm. on the presidential yeah. hustings. Talking about X Factor, um, a guy who has never had the words X Factor and his name in the same sentence before, uh, former Vice President Mike Pence. Mike Pence, correct. So he um, he was Donald Trump's running mate uh, and, has, and was and was um, Trump's uh, vice president, as you say. He, like many of the other candidates, has been a lawyer, um, but really made a name for himself um, as a talkback radio host in the 1980s, and then shifted to television in 1995. So became a sort of a conservative political pundit. Um, although he was originally a Democrat, he switched over to the Republican Party in the 1980s because he identified with Ronald Reagan's common sense conservatism. Wow. Uh, he then he then uh, got a Congress seat and then became the governor of Indiana. Um, so he's extremely conservative when it comes to his um, political views. He said that he describes himself as a Christian, a conservative and a Republican in that order. Some people have, have said that the, really what the Republican debate was, because it's kind of farcical that Donald Trump wasn't there and that all these people are polling way below him, is that it was actually an audition for vice presidency or Donald Trump's running mate um, to become vice president should Donald Trump become president. But I, I don't think Mike Pence, like Chris Christie, probably has a chance at, at getting the Veep ticket this time. No. I agree with you. I don't think they do at all. Should we have a quick um, <clears throat> gallop over the one man we haven't really discussed uh, for the Republican nomination? They put it so brilliantly at the debate as they described him as the elephant not in the room because <laughs> the elephant is the symbol of the Republican Party. So that yeah. was hilarious. So Donald Trump, um, what can we say about Trump? So um he was born in 1946, so he's he's not young either. He comes from yeah. Queens, New York, family of wealthy property developers. Um, uh, he first speculated about running for office back in 2011. Um, yeah. He's variously been affiliated to the Democratic Party, the Independence Party, the Reform Party, and most recently, of course, the Republican Party. Um, he lost the popular vote in 2016 to Hillary Clinton, but won the Electoral College. And that's something we'll come back to in a later episode as well, is how someone can lose the popular vote. So the least of, like, didn't get the most votes across all the people that voted across the United States. But because of the Electoral College system, it meant that he had enough delegates to send them into power. Interestingly, he won because of that, 
after he'd said previously, the Electoral College is a disaster for democracy. It's a total sham and a travesty. <laughs> Until it wasn't. Until uh, it and wasn't. Then, and then actually, you know, thankfully it's uh, got me across the line. It. I really look forward to really unpicking that uh, with, um, you know, no doubt some assistance from Americans because it is an unusual system. Uh, mm -hmm. Everywhere else, I think that purports to be a democracy works pretty much on the view that if you get the most votes, you win. Uh, yep. And, um, you know, this is not the case. And uh, my understanding is he also lost the popular vote uh, quite badly, you know, when he lost four years later. So, you know, Correct. in both, both elections, the majority of voters wanted somebody else. Uh, but as you say, in 2016, enough of certain states got him across the line. And um, should we just do a, a little <clears throat> uh, finish, maybe just sort of briefly touching on how we're going to what you know what we're going to discuss in the future uh, episodes? Because you know we've we've listed the candidates. Um, you know, obviously Biden astrides the Democratic uh, field because he's the incumbent. Uh, and then on the Republican side, it looks as though Trump bestrides the uh, Republican field, despite all these um, indictments against him, which I think now number five with 93 separate charges, uh, yep. more to come. Uh, you know, we can that might require that as like well. six episodes. <laughs> I think that could maybe an episode per indictment. I mean, it's just yeah. it's. Um, you know, I'm minded of that saying uh, with that was again supposedly Stalin said in the Second World War that one one death is a tragedy, ten million uh, is just unfortunate, uh, mm. and becomes a statistic. It sort of feels a little bit, um, without stretching the analogy too far, that the more these pile up against Trump, the more it's harder to discern. Uh, what the really important charges are, and it sort of all becomes noise because any one of those would have been enough to bowl a New Zealand, Australian, a UK, Canadian politician out the door. Um, in fact, any of his behaviour before he became Prime Minister, Correct. a president would have. So here's a guy who just simply defies all traditional political uh, wisdom. Uh, he defied it to get elected. And now he's got all these charges against him, some exceptionally serious, uh, and his popularity keeps going up. Do you have Correct. in front of you what the sort of popularity of Trump relative to those other uh, seven that we've discussed roughly? Is he sort of roughly 50% and, you know, 30 points ahead of anyone else? Yes, that's that's about right. He um, the, the popularity of the others wavers. Um, but in, in terms of the polling within the Republican Party, it's he's at average at about 60% support um, wow. and the others sort of make up the bits and pieces. Um, having said that, that's, that's, to, that's with Republican primary voters. If you look nationally at some of the polls, like on um, 538.com is a really good resource if people want to dig into some of these polls and statistics a bit further. Um, his popularity amongst the nation as a whole is low. In terms of his favourability versus unfavourability, so they've asked all the participants in the polls, do you look at Trump favourably or unfavourably? 60% say they look at him unfavourably and only 40% say favourably. So again, 
it could come down to the popular vote versus the electoral college in some of those key states. Yeah, that's something we're going to traverse. But sort of as we sit here and kick this off, um, it looks like it's going to be, uh, you know, a country for old men. Um, By the time we get round to next November, it will be Biden versus Trump and either a 78 year old with, how can we say, checkered legal past versus an 82 year old incumbent who really looks like he's struggling to put a sentence together. could be the choices are most likely to be the choices wow only in america only in america so so (laughs) i look forward to talking about the why of this and as you say some of the process issues around what are primaries and are they all the same and uh how do you win them Um, because we've got we've got elections to uh, that happen in, in every state before we even get to the general election um, so yeah, the caucuses and the primaries, they'll be kicking off in January um, and going for a few months until the um, parties have their conventions in the US summer in July, um, when they officially endorse their candidates. And then the real debates begin between the two candidates, um, Republican versus Democrat. So we'll be taking you um, through that timeline. We'll be going to some of these events in person in the States, which is just going to be so exciting. Um, talking to people on the ground, and um, yeah, like we said at the at the top, it's going to be a wild ride. It will be. I can't wait for it. I've enjoyed our first uh, podcast, the first conversation. I hope you have too. Now, what are we going to put in the uh, note section? I think you always have to have something in the note section. I think your yeah, reference sure. to 538.com uh, for yep. those who are of a statistical uh, bent and polling bent. And also, I think you need to put your bobble head of uh, Kim Jong-un <laughs> and Donald Trump. I think uh, you need to put the picture up so people... Um, you get a sense of it, uh, and sure. uh, and and what I might do is I might put the uh, the picture of my uh, book that I wrote when I was ten, just the front page of it's never been seen before. I might put that in our notes as well. For I was hoping we could have a transcription of the entire thing. You might no, be able to publish that. Yes, no, no, I don't want to give away uh, too much. Got to hold some in, <laughs> some in reserve, uh, so I'll put a picture of that. Up. Oh, you can drip feed it to us in sections oh, over yes. the over the I course think it's of the next five... year. You could read us an excerpt. Yes, well, it's only five pages long, which is a lot of writing when you're eleven. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, yes, but it's. I think you'll enjoy the time I took to draw what I thought I'd look like. Uh, through my 50 years of presidency. But anyway, uh, well, just, great yes, chat. Let's, and... let's talk, though, um, quickly about our next episode. <clears throat> we have our first guest on our next episode, and it's very exciting that we're going to be having him. So our first guest is um, a man by the name of Stan Barnes, and he comes to us all the way from Arizona. He, in 1988, he was the um, youngest person ever elected to the House of Representatives in Arizona, and he was elected as state senator in 1994. He regularly appears on CNN, Fox News, Politico, The New York Times, Bloomberg, Bloomberg and many other publications over in the States. Um, he's now head of Copper States Consulting in Arizona, um, which is a lobbying public affairs and media company. Um, he has been noted as one of the top five Republicans of influence in the state of Arizona. And Arizona was a critical um, state um, in determining um, the outcome of the 2020 election. And it probably will be again in 2024. So he's going to have some extraordinary insights for us, I'm sure. So really looking forward to that interview. Brilliant. 
We've got many more of those to come as well. Uh, hope you've all enjoyed it. And until next time, uh, stay safe out there. Uh, we'll see you back soon. What's the Story Old Glory is produced by Old Glory Casting. It is written and edited by Elizabeth Soule and Todd Muller. Our cover art is by Caitlin at Studio Naylor and our theme music is Shoot Out at Sundown by Del Burney. Please follow us and rate us on your favourite podcast app. You can also find us on Threads, Facebook, Instagram and the platform formerly known as Twitter. Twitter.